Hello, friends. Our guest today is one of the most complete human beings I've ever met. She is like all of us um, with a history of pain and heartache, but the difference is she figured out how to be at peace and come out on top. She is incredibly intuitive, kind, caring, thoughtful, and has a deep understanding of human emotion. I felt like she knew me within just like an hour. Um, there are links in the bio and you can find her on her website or Instagram. And she's holding a retreat in Portland next month. This amazing woman spent two hours of her life recording this episode with me and then another two listening to me ramble about lady issues and other stuff. In a short amount of time, she opened my eyes to a ton of shit I already knew, but was unwilling to consciously address. I'm so grateful I got to spend some time with her. Here is my friend, Andrea Firpo. So please tell me about being a psychic cheerleader. What would you like to know? What, what does that entail? All right. Well, first, I should probably talk about how the name came about because the name was given to me. It okay. wasn't something that I came up with myself. Okay. Um, when I first moved here to Portland, I saw a psychic or an astrologer, I should say, that's pretty well known here in Northeast. And she took a look at my chart. And when she was looking at it, she said, if I was going through hell, I would want you by my side. You are a psychic cheerleader. And at the time, I hadn't even built my business. I was in the process of a metamorphosis in my life, okay. one of many. And I was trying to heal myself. We'll probably get to that. But in the process of healing myself and learning all of these different methodologies and belief systems um, and really becoming the healer that I guess I've become, uh, you know, I started joking around with the people around me about this and it just kind of stuck. Uh, it's the easiest way to describe what it is that I do and people either really get it or they don't, but they think it's really funny because ultimately it's just saying I'm a life coach. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I use my intuitive abilities in combination with a trauma psychology background. Okay. And my goal is to teach you how to heal yourself on a mental, emotional, spiritual, physical level. So what makes it different than just being a psychiatrist? Well, one, I didn't go to school okay. for that specifically. Okay. I went to school and I've gone through multiple programs and I have certifications, but I didn't study to become a therapist. I didn't go to school and get a BA in psychology. Okay. But that's, I, I mean, have, depending on how, who you've helped and how you've helped them, that's not really necessary, right? Well, I mean, I think it depends on who you um, are working with, first of all, and um, what someone's looking for. Um, when it comes to my personal experience, uh, I was told over and over again that I had so much personal experience that I didn't need to go to school, mm -hmm. that mine was life experience. So if I haven't personally experienced it in my own life, either I've come across it or it's in my family. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me that you, based on life experience, could be a resource 
for someone going through something. Uh, I I got divorced about three or four years ago, and we went to a marriage counselor. Mm-hmm. And when we first started going, she mentioned that she had been through a divorce. Mm-hmm. And my first reaction was, well, why are you giving me advice, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but as we only went a few times and then we got divorced. So she she couldn't help us anyway. It was too far along. Yeah. But um, she had insight into what would eventually happen. So I came to realize she was more valuable than somebody who maybe was in a healthy marriage. Or I had just studied in a book. Yeah. Yeah. And was like, these are valid feelings that you're having, but yeah. I've never had them myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what trauma have you experienced? What what have you been through? Um well, to categorize it, I've experienced physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. Okay. Um, I, I think most people are confused as to what abuse and trauma looks like. Mm -hmm. I think some of us actually think that we haven't experienced abuse or trauma because we're not clear on what that definition is. And a lot of times we can side with our abusers, so to speak, Mm -hmm. or, um, especially our caregivers, Um, because uh, the functional adult in us wants to put the past behind us Mm -hmm. or be a better person. Or we were also told that we weren't allowed to have the feelings that we were expressing or experiencing, or they were never dealt with. And because of that, some of us have grown up to think that maybe we haven't experienced abuse, so to speak. Well, I imagine in a lot of cases, it's easier to repress it too, right? Mm-hmm. And just try to forget about it. For sure. No one wants to dig up their past. Yeah. And if it wasn't overt, right? Mm-hmm. If the abuse wasn't overt, if it was, um, you know, uh, more psychologically based, right? Um, if it wasn't physical abuse, sure, you couldn't point fingers at it. You yeah. didn't have a story per se to tell. Then it's essentially, um, yeah, it's 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 a process of denying it in order to be able to function, mm-hmm. or um, not wanting to relive it, yeah. right? Because you have um, you've essentially decided to um, not address your triggers, right? Sure. So you're just out there living in the world, um, expressing maybe some of your trauma, but mm-hmm. not recognizing the root core or where it stems from. Sure. The origination point. And do you think things have gotten better over the last 10, 20, 30 years? You think this is, this is something that society has addressed? I mean, obviously, people are still being abused in many ways all the time. But do you think it was more prevalent or more excused 50 years ago, you know? 100%. Yeah. I think that our generation, at least our generation, how about the generations before us? Yeah. The generations before us only knew suffering. So, and I had children, basically, to help support me. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. If I lived on a farm and I needed extra hands, I'd just have more children. Yeah. It's very true. Mm-hmm. It really, truly is. Yeah. And so they were just an extension of me. 
and servicing me, right? Um, and generations before us only knew suffering. There was no self-development. Humanity hadn't evolved until, you know, the 60s and the 70s. Mm -hmm. hadn't, hadn't even invented personal development, self-growth, mm -hmm. mindfulness training. Um, because we're better resourced now. I mean, I joke around about this with my daughter all the time, who's 24, uh, and some clients who are younger than I am, uh, that, you know, when I went to college, we had books that were from the 60s, and this was the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the resource materials were incredibly outdated. Yeah. I couldn't go to the internet and go do a YouTube search and watch a movie about how I could fix something or do something. I would be lucky if I ran into somebody as a roommate or a friend who knew how to do something that I didn't know how yeah. to do. And then I would source it that way. So because we have become more connected, we're obviously more informed that has changed, but humanity has continued to evolve as well, right? Um, we are some, in some ways better because we are more informed. And in some ways that's also hurt us because yeah. we are more informed. Yeah. So I don't know if I can answer that question, say that we're better than we were, but I'm certainly, I certainly think we're in less denial a lot of us are in the less less denial potentially than we used to be, right? Yeah, I think it probably just morphed into new ways of pain and suffering because I don't know that you can eliminate that at this point in time. Well, especially right now. Yeah. I mean, prior to the pandemic, let's just say, right? <laughs> because everyone's hurting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Everyone's been, grieving. It's been a brutal couple of years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone is grieving. Mm -hmm. If you're not grieving the fact that you've lost your business or that someone that you know has lost business or that you've lost your job or that you've lost something or someone important to you. Yeah. This has touched all of us, right? So previous to that, I would say, I mean, I think we're in an existential crisis right now. Mm -hmm. I'll be completely honest with you. Yeah. Humanity is absolutely having an awakening. I agree. Um, but previous to that, I would say that um, this was the ray of humanity raising its consciousness. And it was just inevitable that we would all start to tune into how can we heal, right? And not everyone is willing to do that. And some people choose not to. Um, I think that uh, people make a really, they tend to make a decision by about 50. And they either accept that suffering is a part of life and that's how life is. And they continue to accept the patterns of belief around that and and the way of being around that or they have an existential crisis or they have an awakening moment or they have what is referred to as a midlife crisis mm -hmm. so you're saying that the majority of the people that you interact with professionally are over 50 no i mean across the board humanity and culture mm -hmm. from what i've noticed tends to make a decision at around 50 on mm -hmm. whether or not they've decided that they'll actually do the work around their wounding or they'll accept that life is suffering. Yeah. One or the other. 
And they either cruise off into the sunset saying life is miserable. Mm -hmm. And that's just life. It is what it is. Yeah. Right? That's where that phrase comes from. It drives me crazy. Or they do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They wake up to, oh, shit, is this really my fucking life? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people wake up to that, but they they can't do anything about it. I know so many people in marriages, you know, either in their late 20s, early 30s, all the way up to their 50s and 60s. I know people, lots of people in marriages that they don't want anything to do with that situation, but it's easier than taking the steps to break it up. But is it easier? Not in my opinion, but for them, <laughs> it's easier if they just continue coasting in the situation they're in. Of course. Of course. Because it's hard work to get into the game, right? Mm -hmm. I could stay in the bleachers and just watch the game and know that I should get down there and be a player and I can, like, lecture the players and yell at them because they're not doing a very good job, mm -hmm. right? It takes more work to get out on the court and actually play. Yeah. 100%. But... Is it really easier? No, because you're stuck in this pattern that never really gets to change, right? And you're stuck in this way of being that never really gets to change. And so I guess it's easier. I mean, you could say ignorance is bliss, but yeah. maybe it's hard initially because you have to break out of that and make some changes in your life. Mm -hmm. But it's infinitely easier that you do because you're living more in alignment with your truth as opposed to a lie all the time. A yeah. lie. A lie. Showing up for a lie is pretty draining. Even if you don't like your job and you aren't honest about that, I know you've probably worked in a job at some point throughout your life where you didn't want to work there anymore. Oh, yeah. And showing up for that is terrible. Yeah, it's, it's soul crushing. It's soul crushing. Yeah. So we could both agree that like, is that really easier? So if you stay in a marriage that you're not happy with, that is easier because it doesn't force you to make real, true, valid decisions about next steps for you or what is your truth or, you know, doesn't force you to take responsibility for the fact that maybe you've outgrown each other or you've grown in separate ways or one person has grown and the other person hasn't yeah. or whatever that might be. If you're, you're just prolonging suffering, you're essentially pushing suffering out into the future. Well, and you're wasting the time. only life that you got as far as we know. Yeah. You well, know, time. That's that's the most disappointing thing to me. And how much time do you really have? Who knows? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's that's the bummer. Um, but you, I think about this stuff all the time. There, there's nothing you can do to change someone. They have to want to do it. You can't. If you got a friend that's overweight or something that that needs to get healthy, you can't force that person to eat healthy. They have to want to do it themselves. And those people that are in those marriages. They have to want to get out. And it doesn't matter how much you try to convince them. Um, it's got to be their decision. Mm -hmm. 100%. And you can't save everyone. No. That's been my biggest lesson. In in life in general or professionally? or Both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, that's got to be a weird situation. Because, because when you start to heal, mm -hmm. you the first thing that you want to do is heal everyone around you. Right? Because you're like, oh, I figured it out. Let me share it with you. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. So I notice that with clients, they'll start, they'll do my program. And at the end, they're like, oh, I hope you don't mind. But I started to teach this part to my mom. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not because I don't believe that you can't do it. It's not because it's like secret material. I do want to share it with other people. But you haven't laid a foundation with them. And you're also saying, hey, I mean, you run um, triggering someone anyway when you say, hey, I know better than you. Yeah. To do with what you're, you know, here, let me fix your life for you. Yeah, no If you only that. knew that, then this could make all the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you'll be educated on something that I know more than you. That's going to trigger someone's adaptive teen in the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's got to be a weird situation for you because you have people that come to you needing help. Mm -hmm. You want to help them, mm -hmm. but I'm sure you can only do so much work for them, right? They still mm -hmm. have to do a lot of the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Or you even have people come to you who say, oh, I'm tired and I want to change. Yeah. And then they get in such a triggered state. I just had this at a, a retreat. They get in such a triggered state that they don't even realize that they're in it. Mm -hmm. And then they villainize you. Yeah. And you become the victim, mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's your fault because they're not better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely a lot of responsibility, mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you deal with trauma and and depression and and negative thoughts in your life when when you're helping these people I, I can't imagine your life is perfect all the time right oh it's just rainbows and glitter <laughs> and Unicorns. butterflies yeah. yeah no when you go through all those things that everybody goes through do you ever question yourself do I question myself? Like your methods, because you are teaching these people and you're helping these people get through things. Is it ever super challenging for you? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Not all the time, yeah. but 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I'm human, so yeah. I question myself a lot. But what I can tell you is that I'm not at the beginning of my business. So when I have more people telling me how much I've changed their lives and when I see how much I've changed people's lives and then I have the occasional person who is villainizing me or attacking me because they're in a highly triggered state and have a bunch of disorders that they don't really want to address, mm -hmm. then, you know, I here's here's what I can tell you. If this was like 20 years ago and I was trying to do this, there'd be no fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> but because I have learned, I've learned so much about myself. Um, I've done my own work around a lot of my own wounding and healing. Because I have better tools than I ever have before. Because I know how to soothe myself in ways that I just didn't have access to or wasn't modeled to me before. And because I've gotten to the bottom of my own trauma, um, I wouldn't say I'm unshakable, but I know how to pivot. Mm -hmm. I know how to pivot much quicker. I don't, I don't get stuck, right? I don't stay in a place of um, feeling uh, any, any emotion for a long period of time. That's, that's not real and true anyway. So what do you do to soothe and to pivot from, from those feelings? Ah, good question. 
Yeah. So everyone has an inner child. Mm -hmm. And we'll just start with the basics here. And I've mentioned trauma, right? How trauma manifests is an abuse, right? So let's talk with the, just start with the definition of abuse. Abuse is anything that a child perceives as less than nurturing. Okay. So that a child perceives it. So if I'm a mother, which I am, and my daughter runs out into the street, and she's four, and I'm panicked, and I scream at her, and I say, what are you doing? And I shock the heck out of her, and maybe I lose my temper and give her a spanking, whatever it is that I do. And I overreact because I haven't learned emotional regulation of my own anger, Mm -hmm. and I take it out on my child. She experiences that as trauma. Mm -hmm. I could perceive that as the most loving thing that I've ever done for her. Mm -hmm. She was in the street. I was protecting her. I can rationalize that because I have my own version of my own reality, right? And she has her own version of her reality, right? Her own perception of what happened. Sure. And our realities can be completely different, okay? 100%. I could think I was doing the most loving thing. She could perceive it as abuse, okay? So it's anything less than nurturing. Okay. Okay. So we start there. So generally speaking... There was a period of time in your life that you had more trauma than the rest of your life. It was either concentrated in your early childhood or it was concentrated in your teenage years, typically. You may have had a splattering of trauma throughout your life growing up, but for more often than not, it was concentrated at one period of time where there was just a lot of stuff that just kept happening. Okay. Okay, depending on where that might be in your life, that tends to be where your trauma manifests when you're in a triggered state. You'll either go to your teenage years Hmm. or you'll go to your childhood years in your reactions once you're in a triggered state. Okay. So, for instance, uh, mine was wounded child. Most of the stuff happened when I was really young, mm-hmm. seven or eight. So the idea behind that is when I get in a triggered state, I recognize now that some of those core feelings that I'm going to feel are just like a child, needy, abandoned, vulnerable, exposed. I know that about myself now. If I was just walking around in the world and I didn't know that about myself, I would just think that there's something flawed and bad and wrong about me Mm -hmm. all the time, every time I got upset about something, especially if I was in a relationship with somebody who was the opposite of me, who had triggering in their teen. And we could talk about attachment styles too, okay? So the wounded child is anxious attachment style, if you've heard about attachment styles, and the teen is avoidant. Okay. Now, if we get in a relationship together, which is most of the world, by the way, unfortunately, and it's those two dynamics. Yes. Yeah. Because we've seen it modeled over and over and over again. Relationships aren't supposed to be calm and quiet. Yeah. They're supposed to have passion and intensity. <laughs> We're supposed to fight yeah. and make up. Okay. So, because we don't know what that feels like, especially if it was modeled to us over and over again by our parents. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I've got a teen who's my partner, and the teen can't stand a child. Okay, 
it's the antithesis of what they're trying to be. Think okay. of a teenager. I'm perfect, needless, I'm better than you, I know everything, I've got a wall here, I'm not vulnerable at all, I mm -hmm. don't need you. As a matter of fact, get the fuck away, okay? So if I'm an anxious, I'm going to really think something's wrong with me every time I get upset if I've got a teen in my relationship who's constantly like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Get off the floor. Why are you crying? Okay? Because that's the antithesis of what – I don't want to be in touch with those feelings right now. But – So how do I soothe that? Okay? If I always know – Okay, hold on. We'll get to your question. But no, it's okay. If I always know that I'm this, right, and I also understand what this looks like, okay, if I really understand what that looks like, if I can see that model to me in a relationship over and over and over again, and maybe I see that in my partner or maybe I see that in friends, right? But if I see that and I get to know that and I have awareness around it and I see it as it's happening, I don't have to take your reality Serious. I don't even have to take it personal. If I start to recognize what your trauma pattern is, I don't have to take it personal at all. I can just recognize that you're triggered right now and it has absolutely nothing to do with me and actually just reminded you of a state of being that's in your past that you're reliving right now as we speak and has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. So the majority of people have some sort of trauma in one way or another, and you're saying it's easier to cohabitate with other people if you can understand what that trauma is and how to react to it. What happens if somebody doesn't have trauma? Is that a thing? Mm -mm. <laughs> no. no. Like I said, some of us think that we don't. But if you do something called the PTSI, you can't hide. What is a PTSI? It's a post-traumatic stress index test. Who gives this test? I give this test. You give this test. But Dr. Patrick Carnes in the 60s came up with it. Okay. There's eight ways that trauma manifests, and some psychologists have come up with more ways, just like they've come up with more attachment styles now, right? More variances. But at the beginning, there were only three. There was secure, there was avoidant, and there was anxious. Okay. Now there's all these different degrees, right? But there are eight ways that trauma manifests. If you take a PTSI, it's like 200, almost 200 questions. And you either have to admit that you've done it, someone's done it to you, or you've been in the room when it's happened. Hmm. Okay? Because you've even experienced trauma even if you haven't done it or it hasn't been done to you and you've been in the room for it. Okay. Okay. I could see that. Right. So then you store that and then you get essentially a score. Now, some people's scores are going to be lower, right? Maybe they haven't seen a lot or experienced a lot or been through a lot, but they've been through some. I've done this over and over and over again. And uh, zero to three is like, you don't need to worry. And three to five is like, you have some trauma. And moderate is considered five to seven. And high is anything over that. Mm -hmm. Most of the people I work with and the highest you can get is an 18. Mm -hmm. Most of the people I work with are somewhere between 11 and 18. Wow. 
I have had people show up who say, I don't have any trauma, and they're like a seven. They just don't recognize it as trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. it got normalized. But I mean, if they're if coming... If I come from a family where that was just normal and that's how we behaved... Well, they must recognize that something's askew if they're coming to see you. If they thought they were fine, they wouldn't come to see you, right? <laughs> okay, yes, absolutely, 100%. So somebody who just finds me on the internet and shows up and does my program, 100%. Yes, they are in a huge moment. But they aren't the only people I've tested this out on. I started my program with everyone. Yeah. My sister's done my program, right? And it wasn't because I was trying to talk her into it. It was two years in, and she was like, well, maybe you're on to something. I, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because I've seen it change your life. So what is it that I want to know? So I wasn't talking people into it per se, but I tested it out on just about everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I offered it at the beginning for free, right? To some people, mm-hmm. 100%. Just for feedback, 100%. You should be. <laughs> well, and it, it seems like one of those things that regardless of where you started and how much knowledge you had, you accumulate more as time goes on. You get to recognize the warning signs and the various things that will lead to certain directions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's got to be pretty rewarding, right? If you're working with somebody and you get to help them kind of figure out what it is in their life that's keeping them from being who they want to be. And do you you do stuff with couples too? Mm-hmm. And that, that seems doubly hard, obviously, because you're interacting with two people and they both have to want to make that change, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems like it'd be easier just working with one person. And generally speaking, I do work with one person. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to work with one person and then work with their partner. Gotcha. Then do both of them in an intensive over the weekend. It's a lot. It's a lot to hold space for, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But what I've had to learn Getting back to your earlier question is, I've had to learn how to soothe that part in me. Mm -hmm. So how do I do that? Well, I have some meditation techniques that I've learned through clairvoyant training. Um, I I thought you were just going to say you drank a lot. (laughs) I used to drink a lot. (laughs) I used to drink a lot. Um, and, and that is a mode of disassociating 100%. Right. But it doesn't allow me to address that, right? So soothing means sitting with my feelings, right? Naming them, naming them, addressing them, not denying them, not pushing them away, expressing them. And that's how I'm able to allow them to get released, having compassion for them and loving myself in a way in a pair in a in a in a area of my life that was never loved. Did you forgive all the people that hurt you? Yes. Yeah. Is that important? <sighs> I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Um, not everyone's willing to, and I respect that, and I never force that on anyone. And I always say that forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you. You have to forgive yourself for the fact that it happened and you didn't know any better or you didn't know what to do or you couldn't do anything because you were five. Yeah. Right. You have to forgive yourself about the fact that it happened. Whether or not you're ready to forgive the other person 
that's up to you. Uh, I personally think that that's everything. Because if you can get into a space where you can forgive the other person, then both of you get to neutralize the energy between the two of you. And you finally get to move forward and be free of that. Otherwise, you're essentially carrying around Samsonite with you all the time, luggage, right? You're never letting it go. You refuse to let it go. So it's always hanging out in your space yeah, forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder why you feel so heavy. Yeah. And you don't, you know, to spiritually progress, you have this energetic field around you. It's called an aura. And there's several layers to it. We're not going to go into all of them. But in order for you to learn a lesson here, if you can agree just at a basic level that we're here to learn lessons, that you it gets stuck in these different energetic layers to your auric field. And the reason why it gets stuck is because you haven't processed all of the stuff around that particular. So for instance, you can understand it logically. You can go to talk therapy all you want and someone can be like, oh, well, you're fucked up because you had a narcissistic mother. And you're like, oh, I get that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I keep making these decisions over and over and over again. And why do I keep attracting these same kind of men in my life? Blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Why do all my friends attack me and blah, blah, blah? Okay, why is this happening? It's because I've learned it mentally. And maybe I process some of the emotions around it. Some good therapists have helped me with that, right? But have I understood the spiritual lesson of it? What was that supposed to be teaching me? Have I had a narcissistic mother? Did it teach me how to stand up for myself? Did it teach me to have a voice of my own? Did it teach me how to have opinions? Did it teach me how to have good boundaries? You're saying take the positive from the negative? Not necessarily take the positive, but actually understand the spiritual lesson in it. The lesson. What's the lesson? Why would you ever be assigned a narcissistic mother in this lifetime? You think we're assigned? Well, we chose. I don't think we're assigned. I know we chose. Actually, we choose our parents? We choose everything. We just don't remember. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Okay. We choose everything. Yeah. That's a tangent we could go off on. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. Okay. So we choose everything. We even choose our name. Okay. Mm-hmm. We choose our family. And they're part of a soul group. Okay. And a lot of times we've reincarnated here multiple times with them. You're talking about through Buddhism? No. No? Not necessarily. Yeah. I'm just saying that you haven't probably been here only one lifetime. I think it's totally possible. Mm -hmm. I don't subscribe to anything, but I like to evaluate everything for sure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, most people have been here more than one time. So if you had the choice to choose your parent, why would you choose a narcissistic, abuseful parent? Because there was a lesson in it that you wanted to learn for your soul evolution and growth. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And so then when we die, we get to choose again? That's correct. Yeah? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so based on this life and what we learned, you think we come out and then we get to say, oh, I learned that. I'm going to go this direction now and learn a new thing. It's not so that it's new. I mean, okay, so there's a thing called karma, mm-hmm. right? And the goal of this lifetime is to essentially accrue as little karma as possible 
with any being that's here, right? So if I had a lesson that I was supposed to learn with you specifically, Mm -hmm. you and I were supposed to learn a lesson together. If I don't learn it with you, that's okay. There's no judgment in that because I have free will and choice. Mm -hmm. However, that lesson might get louder or stronger or with someone else. It's just going to keep showing up. Because I agreed that I wanted to learn this lesson while I was here. That's why it keeps showing up. Yeah, 100%. So do you think that when we die and we come back out, we have the choice to come through as an animal or an insect? Or do you think it's just like humans? You think you could be anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But more than likely, you'll come back as a human. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of your life, you have something called a life review. Okay. It's not with God. It's with you. It's with you and your life guide. So why wouldn't you just choose to be super rich and have, Some people a, have do. a yacht? Some people do. Yeah, but not everybody can choose that, right? Anyone can choose that. So I could die and come back as Elon Musk? If that was important for your soul evolution <laughs> and soul growth, and that's what you wanted to learn. No, I'm joking. Generally speaking, okay, so for in the, in, in the instance of like animals, right? Okay, uh, let's say like somebody who is working in a slaughterhouse and killing chickens by the dozen every single day, right? Um, that person, generally speaking, will have an alternative lifetime as a chicken, that I'm not saying you're wrong, but that would assume that everyone on the planet is smart enough, smart enough and empathetic enough to attempt to understand all aspects of everything. There's a lot of stupid people out there. Okay. Yes. But you're only equating this with your ego. Okay. That's intact while we're here. Okay. Once we die, we lose our body. We don't even have an ego. We're just spirit. We're literally just energy. That is part of the one. That's right. But there's still a separate me that gets to choose who I come back as, right? 100%. So I, I leave, I go into the one, and I come back as this individual. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not this body, but... Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're assuming that you're going to have the exact same opinions or judgments. I guess I wouldn't, would I? No. Well, it's all dependent upon how you're raised and... But you lose that. Right? Yeah. It's a story. I mean, I'm not trying to minimize anyone's experience while they're alive at all, but I'm telling you that it literally is a story. It's just a story. Everything that you've experienced up until now is your story. Mm-hmm. You get to change it at any moment. Mm-hmm. I could step out this door right now. And change my life. But this, I'm happy with how my life is, right? Mm-hmm. I make little choices, but very few large decisions once I walk out the door, mm-hmm. right? But I get to choose. I could call up Elon Musk and be like, hey, are you single? <laughs> right? I mean, I get yeah. to choose all of that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times the reason why I haven't chosen it is because either I don't feel worthy or deserving or haven't even – it hasn't even occurred to me that I could choose – well, that's... Or it hasn't been modeled to me yet, or haven't found somebody who could teach me that, or haven't run into that information yet, or I'm not even educated on that yet. Okay, so what are you searching for? Me personally? With, with everything that you've learned so far and all the progress you've made, what are you searching for? 
Me? Yeah. I don't even think I'm on a search. <laughs> You're already there? I don't know that I'm there. I don't know that I'm searching for anything. We're searching I think for there something, were, aren't I think we? There, I think that there were times in my life that I was searching, but I don't feel like I'm currently searching. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I have all the answers, but I have a lot more than I used to have. Yeah. And because I have a lot more than I used to have, maybe that's why I'm not searching as hard. Do you ever think about how smart you feel now and experienced you feel now? I don't feel smart or experienced. Well, think about how much smarter you are than you were 10 years ago. And you think you're pretty cool and experienced right now. And then in 10 years, maybe 10-year-older you is like, what was she thinking? Oh, I could say that about six months ago. I don't right? think that I, but well, I don't think that I'm s smarter than 10 years ago. And as a matter of fact, just the other day, I said this to a 28-year-old. I said, the only difference between you and I is that I've been through more challenges over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'll get through it. That's the only difference between you and I. I'm exactly the same that I was at 24 or 28. The only thing is, is that now I've been through some rough shit. Mm -hmm. And I know that I got through that rough shit and I'll get through it again. Mm -hmm. And so I trust and have faith that I will get through difficult things. And that's really the only thing that's changed. I really don't think that I'm all that different. Yeah, I agree. I think, I've matured in some ways. I think that's a testament to who you are as a person, though, that you can say you're constantly developing. I'm constantly developing. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago about how you can just get in a rut and stay in the rut and just ride it out and and go to your job every day and come home. And there's no judgment in that. No, like, I mean, if that's what makes you does, happy. But the universe doesn't judge. We judge. That's a human construct. That gives us discernment about what is right or wrong for us. That's why we judge. There's nothing wrong with it. But it is a process of the ego. It really, truly is not God judging us. I was thinking about that, and I think about it a lot, that if you, if you didn't set goals for yourself and you didn't have all these things you're trying to achieve and you weren't trying to fall in love. You weren't trying to buy a better house or a bigger car. Like you had no goals. You're just like, I'm riding it right here. Everything's cool. I wonder if that is just a happier type of person, you know, because it's. Well, think of culturally, right? Well, think of the Italians, right? Italians. about Italians? I love Italians. <laughs> right. Everyone loves Italians, right? They're on their own timeline. Yeah. They're much happier people because they are. Mm -hmm. Culturally, so, right? So is that a construct of American culture then? Not necessarily, but you could say that there are other cultures, right? If I grew up in Bali, I might have a very different experience of life than I would if I grew up in California. Yeah. If I grew up in Th Thailand, I might have a very different experience of what I needed to create in life as opposed to if I grew up in New York. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So some of it absolutely is culturally based based upon the fact that you and I are sitting in the United States 100 mm percent. -hmm. And we think that we're the best. But <laughs> but ultimately, but we are. 
<laughs> um, but ultimately, if I grew up in Japan, that might be okay for me. You know, that that having a loving family and not having the best, most expensive house and, you know, the career that makes my family happy or proud, just the fact that I'm able to love the people around me and put food on the table and, um, you know, maybe that's enough. Yeah, I'm not saying just... that specific to Japanese culture. I'm just saying. No, like, no, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I just... Uh, it's crazy that we get to be humans and we get to experience all of this emotion and ambition and desire and want. And I wonder like if it just wouldn't be easier to be an animal, you know? Because mm, no. I don't know. Nothing's if... ever easier being an animal. Are you Have you seen s- how we treat animals? Well, I just mean like if you're a <laughs> wild bear. You know? Oh, yeah, we still shoot those, too. Yeah, but I mean, like, in terms of your day-to-day, it's just there's so much. But you have very little control over your life if you're an animal. Yeah. Very little control because we're everywhere now. Yeah. This isn't 200 years ago where you could just roam free mm-hmm. and not come across a person. Yeah. If I'm a deer and I try to cross the street and a car is coming and that driver doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to just be a chicken that goes to the slaughterhouse, right? It's just weird, though, because we are capable of so much, mm-hmm. but then there's also so much pain associated with... I was listening to this podcast the other day, and it was talking about addiction, and it was talking about the human desire to constantly strive for more. Mm-hmm. And that can be an addiction and that can be a negative thing in some aspects. Even in the spiritual world, 100%. Even in self-growth, 100%, because then I'm perfecting myself. I'm never happy with who I am right now. But it's conflicting because it seems like you always want to get better. You don't want to stay who you are in this exact moment. I want to constantly grow. But then you're like never happy. Then you're always looking for something else. Okay, but think of yourself as like a plant. A plant doesn't grow 24 hours a day. It does, doesn't it? Just in little, little tiny ones. No. No, no you have camera equipment. <laughs> Go, um, you know, do some video on a plant and realize that a plant grows incrementally. It's like a baby. A baby doesn't grow 24 hours a day either. A baby eats and gets chubby mm-hmm. and then has a growth spurt. And gets taller and eats some more and then has a growth spurt and grows more and eats and grows more. Same thing. You're not supposed to be constantly evolving on an every single day basis. That's exhausting. Oh, it is. You have growth spurts if you choose. Yeah, and some of that stuff is uncontrollable. I mean, I've talked to people about this before, about just the, are you a creative person? Mm-hmm. You know, when just something comes to you from the ether that you can't really explain, mm-hmm. whether it's like a guitar part or a song from, or a lyric from a song or something, like that is something you can't explain that is really cool. You can't explain it. How do you explain it? 
It comes down from your crown chakra. Okay. Uh-huh. So does Paul McCartney have greater access to that crown chakra? <laughs> Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a pretty good connection, right? He does. Yeah. He does, but he also gets out of his own way. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand how that works a little bit more, right? So now we're talking about Eastern philosophy, but ultimately you have energy that runs through your body. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I go to the acupuncturist and she puts a needle in my forehead, right, it tells my liver to do something. Okay. Right. So we can agree that, like, there's messages that can be sent through my body just on a basic level, right? You agree? Sure. Okay. So we have these things called chakras in our body. They're energy centers, large energy centers. And then we have a gazillion other ones throughout our body, little tiny ones, okay? But these energy centers, okay, back to our auric field, these energy centers – there's seven major ones in our body. They start at the top of our head. First is our crown chakra, right at the top. Right here is our brow, third third eye chakra. Mm-hmm. Then we have a throat chakra. We have a heart chakra. We have a solar plexus, which is right underneath our rib cage. We have our sacral, which is right below our belly button. And then we have one at our root, right at the base of our tailbone. And they're energy centers. They're major energy centers. And they all have a note associated with them. Like a musical note? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. A frequency. They all have a mantra. They all have a color. They all have foods that enhance them. Hmm. They all have uh, like a crystal crystals that support them. Mm -hmm. They have essential oils. I mean, just about anything that is um, at that level of engineering, so to speak, right? Plant engineering um, will support your energetic body. So how do these all work? So, oh, an age of resonance. That was the other thing I was going to tell you, as well as organs that are attached to the chakras, depending on where they're located in your body. So um, an age of resonance, your first chakra, your root chakra at the base of your tailbone is developed from zero to three. The beliefs around your root chakra are security. And when it's out of balance, scarcity and fear. Okay. The whole world is running rampant right now Mm -hmm. on scarcity and fear. Mm -hmm. Right. That's all a first chakra wounding aspect that's whether or not you felt safe and secure at home from zero to age three. That's where that security comes from. That energy center is developed during that time period in your life as you rotate up. Okay. So once you get to your crown chakra, back to your crown chakra and Paul McCartney. Okay. So all of these energy centers send energy out throughout my body. If my energy center is restricted or what is considered blocked, if the energy is blocked there or I have restricted it or shut it down in some way because of either thoughts or beliefs or behaviors, then that energy isn't flowing to the rest of my body like it needs to be. Okay? So when I get a thought up here, 
Have you ever gotten in the shower and had a really great thought? All the time. Or you get in the shower and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what to do today. I know exactly what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I have hot water pounding on my crown chakra, it automatically opens it up. Hmm. Do you know who Aaron Sorkin is? I know the name. I can't think of who it is. Right he's, now. A, he's a writer for TV and movies. He'll take five or six showers a day because it helps him think. That's why. So it's forcing your crown chakra, that energy center, open. Here's the problem, okay? Sometimes it gets stuck in my mind, and all I can do is obsessively think about it because I'm not very good at expressing myself or listening. These two are connected, Mm -hmm. okay? If I'm not very good at expressing my feelings— or listening to other people's feelings, and my throat chakra is resistant or closed down, that energy center is a little bit tighter or constricted. That energy isn't flowing down. This is how it flows. I get a thought. I see it. I start to speak about it. I actually feel about it. I'm empowered about it. I feel passion about it. I root it into the ground. Hmm. That's if everything's flowing. So how do you keep things flowing? Well... You can clear your energy. A lot of people don't even know that they should or that they could. Or you could go work with somebody who does energy healing like I do. And essentially, I've been attuned to an energy. It's not my energy. It's prana, essentially, if you've ever heard the word prana through Mm -hmm. yoga. Mm -hmm. It's life force energy. And it flows through me if you take... um, the equivalent, well, it's called Carillion photography, but if you take the equivalent of like uh, infrared film and you take pictures of my hands when I have it turned on, you'll see like light or shooting rays coming out of my hands. Mm -hmm. So that energy flows from me through intention to your body, or if I place my hands on you, on your body, it goes to the area where my hands are, Hmm. and it gives you neutralized energy. So if I give you Reiki, for instance, and I help clear that energy, that energy is able to run smoother throughout your body. You're able to release things like you haven't been able to release them. And is this something that you're consciously thinking about all the time? Me personally? Yeah. I don't have to think about it all the time. Yeah, once it becomes part of your your natural day-to-day, it just kind of flows through you yeah well okay so there's maybe a misunderstanding about how reiki works do you have you heard the word reiki do you i've heard it i don't i don't know much about it no okay so to explain what reiki is essentially um layman's terms to break up the word because it's a japanese word it equates to god's love Mm -hmm. okay so reiki is something that i'm attuned to It is not something that I was born with, but it is something that anyone can do. You can be attuned to Reiki. Anyone can be attuned to Reiki. It doesn't take special magical powers to do it. It's a process. An attunement process is a ceremony where I'm given the rights to use it. And in Reiki 1, for instance, you have an attunement where As a Reiki master teacher, which is what I am, Mm -hmm. I place symbols in each of your chakras that allow that energy to flow through your chakras and through your body. 
so that you can turn it on at will at any point throughout the day. You don't even have to turn it off. You just turn it on when you need it. You can only use it on yourself and Reiki One. You can use it on yourself. You can use it on somebody you love if you have their permission. You can't force energy onto other people. Okay. Um, it has built-in boundaries. And you can use it on a plant or an animal, an animal with their permission. How do you get permission from an animal? Well, if you turn your Reiki on and you start giving it to your cat and your cat walks away, what do you think that is? <laughs> okay. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It kind of solves itself, doesn't it? How how do you become one that can be given this gift? Did you did you go on a retreat with a shaman? How does this happen? Ah, um, actually, when I moved to Portland seven years ago, I was looking to get into foraging, and my Reiki master was a forager. She was an herbalist, and she taught an herbalism program, and that's how I found her. And she used to combine Reiki with her herbalism program. Mm -hmm. So uh, she would essentially give you a Reiki session, even when she gave Reiki sessions with people, she would also combine plant medicine with it. Mm -hmm. So she would line up, you know, three tonics and she'd be like, which one do you intuitively feel like you need? And then Mm -hmm. you'd choose and then she'd tell you what that was. And then she would give you Reiki, you would ingest it and then she would give you Reiki. And that was her her version of what she did in the session. So I found her and I was going to study her herbalism program and I got kicked out of her herbalism program. We'll talk about that if you want to, but I got kicked out of her herbalism program because she told me I wasn't ready. I was going through a very tumultuous relationship at the time. And she told me that that was my priority and not this program. And she was right. I didn't take it. I didn't take it personal at all. But she, as part of that program, she um, required each person to enter to have a Reiki session. And I was trying to heal myself when I first moved here to Portland. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was open to anything. Yeah. And she offered me that Reiki session still. And when I showed up, I had no idea what I was doing. I laid down on her. I mean, I just explained her process and then she had me lay down on the couch and she gave me Reiki and I had tingling sensations. I had hot and cold. I saw a bunch of things. I felt totally different. And when I stood up, I said, literally, what the fuck was that? And she was like, that's Reiki. And I was like, yeah, but what did you just do? And she's like, well, that's just that. That's sounds like acid. Well, not everyone has that. No, it's nothing like acid. How about that? It is nothing like acid. I can tell you that. (laughs) Okay. But um, what it does is it, you know, anytime that you're taking a drug, Mm -hmm. LSD, Mm -hmm. you're trying to thin the veil. Mm -hmm. You're trying to reconnect to spirit. Yeah. You're trying to see that there's more to this reality than what meets the eye, right? You forgot. You forgot that the earth is breathing. Mm-hmm. You forgot that everything is energy. Mm-hmm. You forgot that, yeah, that you have more control and that it's not just all in your head. So that's, you know, anytime we're we're doing that, that's, we, we may think, oh, we're just having a fun Friday night. But ultimately, at a spiritual <laughs> level, our higher self is like, oh, I need to be reconnected. So you're talking about earlier how everyone is depressed and um I don't know how you labeled most people right now, but confused, confused and depressed. It's because we're disconnected. 
who were you before you became this person? What caused this <laughs> transformation? Okay. I've had multiple in my life. I've had multiple transformations in my life. Um, that does make me unusual. It makes me very unusual. Um, I can't say that there's no one like me, but um, I have I have had multiple experiences where I've been forced to reinvent yeah. and start over. And uh, who was I before this? Um, okay, I was exactly the opposite of who I am now in some ways. I mean, huh. the same person was inside, but on the outside, it was very, very different. So I lived in San Francisco. Uh, I had worked in the Bay Area for 20 years. I was an executive assistant and senior office manager in tech industry and VC firms and finance and um, had the, you know, Porsche Cayenne in the, in the driveway and the really beautiful condo that had been rebuilt. And um, I had everything that I was supposed to be having. Mm -hmm. Were you married? I was married. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, I lived a very open lifestyle. Um, I partied a lot. Um, I drank a lot to deal with my trauma mm -hmm. because, again, I was showing up in talk therapy and that wasn't doing it for me. Um, I hadn't been shown how to get out of my own way in a lot of ways. And I hadn't been shown, um, I certainly didn't know how to soothe myself. And I hadn't been shown, it hadn't been modeled to me that um, things could be different or that I should be making changes. And I got to a point where I was at a dead end. I didn't have a choice. Um, I got diagnosed with a really serious autoimmune condition that a lot of people haven't heard of. And because my health was at a risk, I had to make changes. So um, because I was at a point where um, I would have to take out my thyroid and potentially was almost at a point where I could lose my eyesight permanently Whoa. Um, at not even 40, that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And so back to those moments in life where I said, if you were here to learn a lesson, it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder until you can't escape it anymore. Mm -hmm. I usually find people at the point where they can't escape it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I chose to leave everything. So Even I, your husband? I did leave my husband. Yeah. yeah, I filed for divorce. But I also quit my job and put my house on the market and um, left all of my friends, left the lifestyle, left everything behind. And I moved here to Portland and started over from scratch. And that was based upon my acupuncturist at the time who was from Germany. And he looked at me and said, do you really wanna heal? And I said, yeah. And he said, you do you know what we do in Europe? And I said, no. And he said, we do a lifestyle change. And I said, tell me more. And as soon as he said that, I heard Portland in my head, which I now recognize as Claire audience. But at the time, I thought it was my own thought. And so I kept hearing Portland. Two weeks later, I was standing out waiting for Muni in San Francisco, going into my job like I always did with my husband. He was sitting there talking to a coworker, had all these synchronistic events that led me here. I'm pointing out one of them. 
And he was mad at his boss and he looked at me. I'd been wanting to move to Portland for eight years already. I kept asking my family to move to Portland. No one wanted to move to Portland. They all thought I was crazy. And he looked at me and said, maybe we should just put our house on the market and move to Portland. And I said, what did you just say? And he said, Portland. And I called my realtor that day or our realtor that day. And I was like, we need to sell. So yeah, who was I? It was totally different. Didn't everybody think you were crazy for just listening to your acupuncturist and moving to Portland? Yeah. <laughs> everyone thought I was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone thought I was crazy a lot of times in my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I also chose to have my daughter as a single parent and the odds were stacked against me and everyone thought I was crazy then too. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, this was not your husband's child? No. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So then you leave San Francisco. And I moved to Portland. Two weeks notice, moved in uh, Portland with just your daughter. You left uh, the husband behind. I left the husband behind. And for five years, he telecommuted, or not telecommuted, he commuted back and forth. Okay. So you didn't break up with him. You're just like, I oh, got to get I out filed. of here. I filed. And then I, um, for lack of a better word, I uh, reconciled. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I reconciled because I thought that I was the problem at the point at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really hard to heal myself. Yeah. And then it made it my mission to remember we already talked about this, start to heal the people around me. Yeah. So then I worked really hard to heal our relationship. Then I realized, oh shit, I can't save everyone. Yeah. And that was an evolution all in it's itself. It's a bummer, right? When you realize it's too far. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So I was forced to choose, yeah, and to change. Mm -hmm. And most people are, if you think about it. I think usually uh, we have a life-threatening condition that makes us change. Well, what happened with your your Grace's health disease? issue? I healed myself within a year. Seriously? Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm on no medication. I never lost my thyroid. Mm -hmm. So are you convinced that that's uh, a mind control? Not control. That sounds weird. But that you're, you were able to It wasn't heal just my mind. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Huh. Yeah. Did they try to give you medication for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said you didn't want it? I said, I will absolutely take that as an option if I'm all out of options, mm -hmm. but I'm not at a place in my life where I'm willing to give up yet. Hmm. I have much too much life to live, in my opinion. At that time, I was 38. I had much too much life ahead of me to accept that as my only option. Mm -hmm. And I met... Well, in a place of uh, being completely open to healing myself, like completely open, I was literally like, can you help me? Can you, can you, can you, you can, this person on the street? Okay, great. You got a reference for me? Cool. I'll call them. I was open to anything mm -hmm. and everything started to flood in. So, I mean, I worked with a nutritionist who was a kinesiologist and he heard about my childhood and said, um, gave me some insight. And then I said, you know, I just, 
I just really want to be healthy for the next 20 years. I mean, if I was like 65 and someone was telling me this, maybe I would have a different opinion. Maybe I would have just taken the medication and let them, you know, take out my thyroid for the rest of my life. And he said, why? Why do you ever have to be sick? And I was like, oh, you're hired. I like (laughs) you. Yeah. Keeper. Yeah. So, you know, it was just that I had been taught that I was always sick. I mean, I'm really minimizing it, but I had a bunch of beliefs around the fact that I was ill and an ill person and that it was all my fault and that I came from a family that was really fucked up. And I had a lot of beliefs around the fact that I couldn't change my circumstances or my environment. And so I was very stuck in that. Very, very stuck. So you're you're living the life down in San Francisco, making a bunch of money. You got the house, you got the car, you got the husband, you got the job, all that kind of stuff. But you're still dealing with everything and not quite feeling oh, all was right. Like crying in the bathtub every night. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. It was soul crushing. I yeah. think we mentioned that earlier. Yeah, it was soul crushing to try and keep it all together. Yeah. I think my daughter's words were, um, "I held it all together with shitty tape." <laughs> It's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was holding it all together. It looked pretty, mm-hmm. but I was falling apart. I was like a pretzel. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people like that. It, it looks good on the outside, but internally. There were leaks all over the place. Yeah. I like had a finger and toe and every single. Yeah. Yeah. It was all caving. And yeah, I didn't know what to do with it. So I kind of had to let it all fall apart. So how how were the first six months when you got here? Really pretty really bad. Really confusing. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. You rethink your decisions. You're like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Starting over. Mm-hmm. Do you still talk to any of the people from back then? Yeah. It's not like I was like, I will never talk to you again. Yeah. I just did not. How about this? I shed. Yeah. For lack of a better term, I shed people. Well, and they probably understand now after seeing where you're at and the improvements. Or they don't. I don't I don't I don't need their approval. No, you don't. Yeah. But I mean like if if I had a, a great friend that I worked with every day and then all of a sudden like, oh, I'm going to Portland, I'm quitting everything and leaving, I'd be like, Whoa, what's going on? But then to see that person later. Right. You know? Right. I think that's really cool. Thanks. I think that's ballsy. Most people will not, and this is what we've been talking about the whole time, most people will not take the steps. They'd rather endure that pain than than risk it. Take it's a risk. Scary. It it's scary. It's unknown. It's unknown. Well, and women and traditionally are not risk takers. They're, they're, I mean, we all fear the unknown. Yeah. Right. When I wor- work with people and 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 they're like, but I know that I know that can't happen, or I know that I always have this joke with clients. It's like, well, do you have a have you been holding out on me? Do you have a magic crystal ball? And they're always so perplexed, like, no, what are you talking about? And I'm like, do you have a magic crystal ball? Can you foresee the future? Have you been holding out on me on this whole time? Yeah, like we don't know, no. we don't know things. Mm-hmm. All I know is today. Yeah. So I try not to get caught up in the future. I just try to stay present with right now. Mm -hmm. It's not like I don't have goals or I don't aim for things, but I also practice non-attachment because a lot of times 
my ego has an opinion about how things could work out perfectly, and it doesn't always happen that way. Well, elaborate on that. What is, what is non-attachment? Practicing non-attachment means essentially if I have a goal, right? I'm like, uh, I would really write my, like to write my book this year. Okay. That's a goal. And I'm going to put steps into whatever that takes, right? Finding a publisher, finding my editor, writing the chapters. But how that happens and how it all falls together and the timeline for that and the steps in between here and a published book, I have absolutely no attachment to or as little attachment as I can because spirit or universe or God or whoever you choose to believe in, or maybe you don't believe in anyone, but it's a partnership, okay? I'm not just totally alone here. It is a partnership. If I take one step forward, it's mirrored just through the law of attraction, Okay, I take another step forward. It's mirrored. My experience is constantly mirrored to me. Okay, it's a partnership. Mm -hmm. So if I put effort out, that's mirrored back to me. If I put more effort out, that's mirrored back to me. If I put more effort out, that's mirrored back to me. I don't understand how you're not attached to it, though. Well, because I don't have it all figured out. I couldn't possibly figure it all out. So you're saying you let it come when it happens as opposed to pushing to make it happen? I push to make things happen all the time. I'm not saying that I don't put effort in. I'm saying that sometimes the unforeseen happens and something beautiful happens that I was not suspecting mm -hmm. that could possibly even happen. And if I was so, okay, let me give you an example, a more concrete example. If you ever looked for a house... To I live just, in. I just bought one. Okay. So you just bought a house. In that house search, did you ever have a moment where you maybe looked at a bunch of listings and you were like, that's the one? Mm -hmm. Did you get what you started out looking at? Never. Okay. So there were some times where you were like, that one's a pretty good one. And then you walked in and you're like, ooh, I don't really like the kitchen. Yeah. Or, oh, I didn't know that it was going to need a new roof. Yeah. Or all of these things, right? Those are unforeseen. But if you had gotten so rigid and you were like, nope, this is the house that I want. I'm getting this freaking house. This is the house I'm buying. I don't care what's wrong with it. The universe is like, uh, but there's this other really great house over here. Do you really want that house? You can have that house. That's cool. You can have that house. But I got this really great opportunity over here. And if I'm holding on to something, are my hands really open? Can I be open to anything else? Or my mind? Can my mind be open to anything else if I'm really, really, really rigid? Well, that's the question that I didn't know if we were going to get to, but I thought about it before you came here. How do you know when to give up on something? It's not giving up. You, you have to give up at some, if you're chasing okay, a girl. About this? How about this? If I look at that house and I'm like, oh, this is the one that I want. And then I find out that there's a roof that maybe needs to get replaced and I'm not ready to buy that. I'm willing to negotiate that. Either I'll put in a lower bid to cover my expense or I'll say, you know what? This isn't probably the right house for me. Mm -hmm. Right? I wouldn't just say, 
But I mean, I mean more along the lines of like, if you're chasing somebody you're interested in, or if you're trying to get a new job, or if you're... Okay. You so know what I mean? Like I'm how, applying for a job. And I'm in love with this job. It's the perfect job. It's the right commute. I liked the boss. We hit it off. It's amazing. It's got all these flashy things. I love it. It's going to be great. I've already visualized myself there. And then I don't get the job. And I'm devastated. Mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck, that was the job. I know it was the right income. I had it all figured out. Blah, blah, blah. And then... Eventually, so we didn't get to this part, you found a house, right? Mm -hmm. Do you like your house? I do now. Is it a good fit for you? I mean, there are some some concessions, obviously, but... So you didn't get everything that you wanted, but you got most of what you were looking yeah, for. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got most of what you were looking for. Yeah. Same thing with a job. Yeah. So if you didn't get this job, there are unforeseen circumstances that maybe I didn't have any awareness of. Maybe would have hated the coworker that was sitting next to me every single day. And the universe is like, yeah, that's not the right fit for you. <laughs> Maybe would have hated something about the job that I don't have insight into. Yeah. And that's why it didn't work out. Yeah. That's why it didn't work out. Because if it was meant for me, I would have just stepped into that role. So is that what you believe then? The universe is directing you. Mm -hmm. So what part do you play? It's a partnership. It's a partnership. Yeah, I'm, ste I'm steering. I'm steering the car. So what's the universe doing then if you're steering? Matching me. They're bringing items into your view? That's right. Yeah? 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy when you think about the de the small decisions you make and what what certain things can send you down a certain path. Mm -hmm. And I, I know what you're saying with the universe. And I, I believe that too, that, I mean, there's free will and you have the decision to do certain things, but I think things get presented to you. 100%. And you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. And you're like, no, you always have three choices, actually. You can accept it as is, you can ask for more, or you can ask for something different. People don't realize that they have three choices for every single scenario throughout their entire day, every single day. Hmm. A lot of times we forget that we can ask for more or ask for something different. Mm -hmm. And we just accept it as is. Yeah. Especially yeah. for half asleep or we're drinking or we're numbing ourselves <laughs> with something else. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, then it's easy to forget. Mm -hmm. It's easy to just slip into normal or what's comfortable. So what do you think the most important thing is for somebody, if there's somebody listening right now and they're like, man, I need to make a change. What What do you think is the most important thing? What, what's the inspiration? What's the drive? What is the the catalyst that would allow somebody to actually do something different? How do you break out of your rhythm? Hmm. I think through self-inquiry. Through asking really good questions. Of yourself. Of yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why am I acting that way? Why am I really upset? Why did I just say that? What's really going on with me? Yeah. Why did I do that? Did I mean that? 
Or is that something going on with me that I need to look at? Yeah, because the majority of interactions or reactions are not about you. If somebody freaks out on you at the grocery store, they're not really mad at you. Something's happening in their life. It's just easy to put all of that aggression on you and get rid of it. That's right. That's yeah. called energy dumping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So remember how you said, how would you clear your energy? That's the whole point of clearing your energy. So you don't freak out on people at the grocery store? No, but you can have a more neutralized outside. Okay, you're like an energy bubble. Mm-hmm. Think of yourself as an energy bubble. You're walking around in a bubble all day long. And if I give you a hug, you get a little bit of my energy and I get a little bit of your energy. If I sit down on that couch, that couch is energy too. Every person that put that couch together, a little bit of energy on there. Every person that sat down on that couch, a little bit of energy. So I sit down on the couch and I get other people's energy too. And so I'm walking around in a soup of energy all the time. And if I choose never to clear my energy, yeah, I noticed that too. If I choose never to clear my energy, then essentially I'm walking around with my energy as well as other people's all day long. So I don't even know what I'm thinking or feeling. I am like a sponge. Think of yourself as a sponge at your kitchen sink. And if I handed you a sponge from the moment you were born and never gave you any soap and you had to wash all your dishes between now and the time that you were born, that sponge would be pretty filthy. Yeah. That's what your auric field is like. And so without cleaning it, cleansing it, without doing energy work, without smudging yourself or smudging your environment... Or using some sort of crystal or something to clear your energy. Essentially, you're walking around kind of dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absorbing all day long. That's why you don't have clarity. That's why you don't know what you want. It's because you're absorbed what everybody else wants for you and what everybody else needs you to do as well as everybody else's feelings about that. And then your own feelings. And what are your feelings, right? How can you separate them? And so when you go to, let's say, a psychic, what is considered a psychic, right? And you get a psychic reading. That's what we're taught to do. We're taught to see in our mind's eye, like on a blank picture or a movie screen, Mm -hmm. we're taught to Receive information from your higher self, your spirit self that hangs out with you all the time above your crown chakra. Your spirit self shows us what you need to see. And we pick up on pictures, feelings, images, thoughts that you've stored in your art field. Do you do that? I can do that. I don't choose to do that. It's not how I feel called. For instance, you were mentioning earlier about how people are too lazy and don't want to fix themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not that kind of person. When you go to a psychic reading, you're assuming that that other person's going to tell you your future or whatever it is that you are going through or, you know, whatever, whatever messages that are coming through that you might need in order to... You're, you're putting your power outside of you. 
It's no different than going to the doctor and saying, what's wrong with me? Oh, thank you. I'll take this medicine and now I'll feel better. I feel called to teach you how to do it for you. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. I work with people and teach them what I've been trained to do so that they can do it for themselves. So it's an actual choice on whether or not they search out other people from here on out because they have tools now where they can actually help heal themselves without needing other people, without relying on other people. If they want to go get a massage, great. If they want to go to a psychic healer, great. But that isn't their only option. And if they just put those tools in their back pocket and never really use them, that's their choice too. But ultimately, they'll have those tools for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So I'm more of a soul liberation and embodiment guide. Mm-hmm. I really, truly want to empower people to leave their story and choose from here on out to make a new story. Yeah. Yeah. And do you still personally meet with other people to investigate things with about yourself or do you do all of that internally? I 100% believe in continually advancing, right? So, so right now, right now I'm studying um, trauma psychology through NCBIAM, which is a specializes in somatic therapy. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly evolving myself. I'm not I constantly meant, going to school, but I'm constantly always getting better. I yeah. meant more along the lines of meeting with someone else to talk about yourself in like a therapy type session. Do I need therapy yeah, right now? Yeah, do you now? do that? Do I go to therapy right now? I do not go no. to therapy. Yeah. Yeah. I've been through a lot of therapy. I have too. And some people are terrified of it. And uh, I think it can be good for you if you're willing to be open. I think it also depends on the therapist. Yeah. It's no different than a doctor. They were all trained certain ways. They've all gone to different schools. They've all had different experiences. Yeah. Um, I think that anyone with serious, serious trauma needs to see somebody who specializes in trauma psychology 100% mm-hmm. because they need to get to the root of their issues. Yeah. Back to that PTSI, you know, if you're in the five to seven category, then maybe, you know, you can go do talk therapy where you just show up and it's like, well, what happened in the last two weeks, Cody? And you're like, oh, well, you know, my partner got mad at me and she said this and I said that and, you know, 30 minutes later, they're like helping you work through that and they're showing you what happened in that conversation. You leave and you're like, okay, yeah, I guess I have a game plan. But if you have real trauma in your life and you're really trying to make change and transform your life and not continue to either choose those partners or choose that relationship or choose that career or if you're really trying to make a breakthrough in your life, then you need to work with somebody who actually is going to teach you why you're attracted to that, why you're choosing that so that you can understand the psychology of you and get to the core of your belief system and get to your core values. Yeah. Are you talking about like why you choose the type of partners that you choose? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or why you choose the career that you choose. Yeah, I think that's different. I 
think you're attracted to what you're attracted to. And maybe even though you know it's not good for you, you still just like it. It's kind of like if you like pizza, you like pizza. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. If- I like pizza. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with liking pizza per se, Mm -hmm. but. I think it's just hard to break those habits when you, when you discover a type of person that you're interested in and they're exciting and fulfill a certain criteria that you know you enjoy, like it's hard to deviate from that, even though you know it's not good for you. Is it? Maybe I need some therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Either that or maybe you need to understand your attachment style. Yeah. 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 It's, it's weird. Because you're only um, attracted to that because you're trying to, you probably don't want to know this, but you're trying to, you're, you're potentially, potentially trying to reenact some of the unhealed mm-hmm. things between you and your mother. Mm-hmm. Because we tend to pick partners where we have unresolved trauma mm-hmm. with our, I mean. With the opposite. With the opposite parent. sex. Yeah. Or if um, you are, you know, um, fluid or um something else on the lgbtq spectrum Mm -hmm. then maybe not the opposite but point being is you tend to pick a partner to reenact and resolve trauma Hmm. from your primary caregivers in general so kind of like girls that have supposed daddy issues 100% 100% have yeah. abandonment issues. Yeah. 100% more than likely had a father who was unavailable to them, mm-hmm. either through work or un- emotionally unavailable, but mm-hmm. it usually emotionally unavailable because women develop self-respect in their teenage years. And they develop all of the selves in their teenage years, self-care, self-love, self-respect, self-admiration, all of the selves. And that's in partnership with their relationship with their father. Hmm. So if that was missing, I don't even know what that feels like. It was never modeled to me. Because you had a good dad? No, I mean, if it was missing... Meaning if my dad wasn't there, I don't know what self-love is or self-care, right? And more than likely my mom being around who accepted that man into her life and chose to have children with him Mm -hmm. also doesn't know it as well. That's why she chose that partner. Hmm. Yeah, it's just like an ongoing cycle. Passes it on. That's called generational trauma. Yeah. So essentially I just take the unresolved stuff from my mom, and if I don't change it, I just pass it on. Now my daughter gets a choice on whether or not she does anything about it. Yeah, that's a difficult one to to break the pattern of. I think most people don't realize they're doing it. 100%. Very few people... Uh, consciously choose to have children. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's very yeah. unfortunate. Mm, it truly yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Very few people do the personal growth that is required. Well, that's the the mean, mean trick that evolution has played on us. Is it? That you're so horny and ready to get someone pregnant before your brain is even developed. And so you're far more likely to knock up the wrong person, not somebody that you're compatible with when you're in your late teens, early 20s, because that's when you're so overcome with the desire to do that. That's, that's, that's evolution. That is the way that our species has survived, but it's, it's so bad because you don't quite figure out who you are or what you want or what you need until you're in like your 30s. Or you, even then. Are you speaking from personal experience? Yeah, I'm speaking for every human that's ever lived. <laughs> oh, you can generalize for every male no, out there. No, no, no. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm saying that hmm. I agree with you. you. You really wanted to impregnate, impregnate somebody in your teenage years? Not consciously. Okay. No, I'm saying that is what... That is what our bodies have convinced us we're supposed to do in order to preserve the human race. Hmm. And all of that happens when you are an idiot. Hmm. I still am an idiot. I'm 37 years old, but I am immensely smarter than I was when I was 23, when I had hmm. my first kid. Hmm. Hmm. I was 23, too. Were you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love him to death. I know. I love all my kids. But what I have chose... To have a kid at 23? No. Mm. No. Mm. I wish I would have been more experienced. I wish I would have found the right person. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's tough when those things get decided, when you, n n you don't necessarily perceive the long game. But that was a choice. It was a choice. And you're not a victim. No, no one's a victim. It, it, it is what it is, and it happened, and I am who I am because of it. Mm -hmm. There you go. You know what I mean? There you go. There's the spiritual lesson. Yeah. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. You are who you are because you had that experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it would it would have gone very differently. Of course it would have. Yeah. But that wasn't what you chose. Yeah. That's what the universe helped me choose. No, that's what you chose. <laughs> the universe was helping. The universe made an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. No one said, no one put a gun to your head that night and said, you have to sleep with this woman. Mm-hmm. You chose. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? You know, there were a many, many choices between that and the time that she actually had your son, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, and maybe some of those were out of your hands. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, there were other choices. Do you think it will be easier or better when we don't have to make that choice anymore? When will we not have to make that choice? You don't think that's coming? Where we won't purposely create children with each other? Uh, we won't, I mean, I'm saying. Do I think that there's a future in humanity where we'll choose not to have any children? I'm saying it won't be necessary for a man and a woman to make a child. Oh, we'll I'm just make them like done. in a Petri dish yeah, or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Then I I don't foresee people not wanting to procreate. I mean, let's be honest. Look at how many people are having babies right now during the pandemic. And I'll try to not be judgy and say, what the hell are they doing? I'm not sure. <laughs> like, either, you know, they are trying to be closer or... but I, They're 23 years old. Or They're they, haven't thought it, they haven't thought about it. Yeah. But, I mean, like that whole generation of children that are going to be born into only seeing people with masks yeah, that's and bad. never seeing somebody smile or light up when they see them. Yeah. There's going to be significant mental damage from that. Cause well, we don't, we don't, I mean, I can't foresee the future. I have no idea how this is going to impact people, but I'm just saying like people are having babies right now and you'd think, wow, this is a very unsafe, I mean, most of us would say this is a very unsafe world mm -hmm. to be having children right now, or it's a very unsafe hospital to be going into. Uh, yeah, but I think that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it, are consciously attempting to, I think it's just happening. It doesn't just happen. I think you know how that whole works. Yeah. Literally, mm -hmm. I think you know how that works. So, I mean, it doesn't just happen. Yeah, but I'm saying there's not a lot of self-control in a lot of situations. So you're saying we're walking around as robots and we have no control? <laughs> no, I'm saying when you're, this is, this is my whole argument, is when you're in that age, you, I mean, look at, look at the majority of people who Having get babies. pregnant yeah, with right in their late teens, early 20s. They're not highly educated. They're not going to school at Harvard. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I don't know that Harvard has anything to do with it, but maybe I'm their just, family modeling shows them that that's their only choices. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. think of the family that they're being born into, right? And mm -hmm. the fact that they haven't broken out of that culturally or systemically mm -hmm. or whatever the patterns of belief, right? I mean, you could say that that's the whole reason why I got pregnant. My sister got pregnant too mm -hmm. at 19. So that was modeled to me. Mm -hmm. Didn't go very well in my family. Yeah. Right? So. Well, it has, it has a positive effect in some situations. Mine is one of them where when you're forced with that responsibility, you can either disappear and be a piece of shit or you can change your life. Same thing in your 40s and your 50s. Yeah. Same thing. You're mm -hmm. presented with choices throughout your life and you get to choose in your words to be a piece of shit mm -hmm. or to normalize your behavior or to not choose what is the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. You have that choice. Yeah, 100% every single time. So how do you deal with addictions? How do I personally deal with yeah. them? Yeah. Me. Yeah, like, every, everybody's got something. You don't have to say what it is, but since you have been capable of organizing your life. I've never been addicted to anything. I thought you said you had issues with alcohol and drugs and 100 stuff. 100% I'm an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic. Okay, so you were addicted to alcohol. I wasn't addicted. I had a codependent relationship. Okay. 100%. Okay. And so how do you differentiate the two? I never needed it. Okay. It it's was, not a chemical thing for me. It was just something you it's did. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Mm -hmm. So whenever I reached out for things, fortunately, yeah, they were always a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a healthy relationship with them. If I needed to leave them, it was okay. Hmm. I never saw them as a sustainable source of uh, fixing everything or solving everything. That was the choice that I was making at the time. Alcohol was very socially acceptable and people thought I was hysterical when I was drunk. And people got really used to that. So really what I had to do is get rid of the addiction, if you want to say there was an addiction, an addiction to how people saw me. Mm-hmm. Really, I had to grieve the fact that nobody wanted me to stop drinking, that every single time I went out to a club or a bar, someone would say, hey, Andrea, do you want to drink? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, oh, really? And I had to handle their disappointment over mine. It's hard to be that that one person that doesn't drink when all your friends drink. Yeah. You kind of have to get not new cool. friends. So not cool. Yeah. 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 I did get new friends, remember? <laughs> yeah. I got new friends. Yeah. 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 I guess that's necessary sometimes, huh? It is. Because your friends are in a past for in your past for a reason. You outgrew them. The lesson that you were supposed to learn with them is no longer valid. You've energetically vibrated at a different level and it's no longer an energetic match. Uh-huh. That happens with all relationships. Yeah. Yeah. We have contracts with each other. Back to that soul family thing. So can you tell pretty quickly whether or not you want to associate with somebody when you meet them? Um. Yes, I can read people's energy. I can sense it a lot better than I can. Well, yes, I have a good sense of whether or not um, I have good discernment on whether or not that person will be healthy for me. Mm-hmm. But I can't tell that within 30 seconds. Yeah. I can tell that I will be an energetic match for you within 30 seconds, but I can't know enough about you immediately unless I did a bunch of meditation before I showed up, which I didn't, um, and allow some information to come through, again, through that crown chakra, right? So I can access that information from you, but that's exhaustive. I don't do that for every person. I don't do that for every meeting. It's not necessary. Mm It's not necessary for me. I'm still living in this third dimensional reality. I still like walk around and like eat chips and, you know, <laughs> don't care about things occasionally, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm not always on. I'm not like doing a psychic evaluation of every single person that I come up <laughs> against, you know? Why not? Because people pay me to do that. Yeah. Right? So, um, can I understand you within a good hour? Mm-hmm. Like if you were just talking to me, if you sat on the couch and just talked to me, yeah, within one hour's time or even a half hour, you would tell me so much about yourself that I would have a very good understanding of who you are. Yeah, that um, that just made me think of you get crazy insight into people's lives. I do. You... Uh, because I was thinking about this the other day, when you share a secret with somebody, whether whether if that's your mom or your sister or mm-hmm. your girlfriend or your brother or your friend or whoever, when you share a secret with someone, that's powerful. It brings you closer to someone. And so you're hearing all these secrets all the time. You, you must have 
I don't know that I hear people's secrets. You don't think so? No? Mm -mm. They're not sharing? I mean, they might be sharing things that they wouldn't normally share. But if somebody's in their intimate circle, they probably know Mm. or have good awareness of. Mm. Yeah. It's not like people are coming and divulging a bunch of secrets on my couch and and sharing something that they've never told anyone ever. Hmm. It feels good to to get the things out that no one else knows. Yeah. So is that what therapy is for you? <laughs> you tell you share all your secrets yeah, and then you're know. like, make some sense out of this. Um, no, I don't think that I know necessarily people's secrets, but they're not. Here's the thing. People tell me exactly what I need to know. Mm-hmm. It's not a secret. That's the thing. Mm. The things that are important to you that you talk about, that you just readily talk about, you're already offering up insight to you all day long. Mm. It's just whether or not I'm listening and have the awareness around what it is that you're saying. Yeah. But what you prioritize, how you speak about people, how you speak about your life, what you make a priority to share with me, what you choose not to, how you frame the sentence, your statements Mm -hmm. that you make, the beliefs that you make, all of that informs me um, on what's important and what's running your life. It's very, very clear. I don't even have to really ask a lot of questions. You already want to tell me it. Yeah. And people are telling, we're telling each, here's the thing is we have that child that's living inside of us. And the reason why people complain is because they're not addressing their child, yeah, their child's needs, right? I like to remind people that you're walking around literally with a little version of you and you're holding their hand at all times, hmm. all times. Would you subject, let's say your son was seven, would you subject your seven-year-old to some of the things that you say or you do? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do have a seven year old. So you always have you always have that child in you, whether or not you recognize it. If you don't address what they're upset about, what the little version of you is upset about, if you don't ever address that, then the rest of the world has to address it for you. Constantly. I need to be seen and heard. Seen and heard. I'm on Facebook telling you how shitty my life is. Constantly, I need to be seen and heard. If I'm not seeing and hearing myself, I'm going to make you see and hear me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to demand that out of you, actually. Yeah, it's dangerous. What's dangerous? The ability to overshare with everyone. Well, I'm not saying that you have to take it as, I mean, you don't have to keep it a secret but if i'm not addressing certain aspects that are wounded in me i am going to sit around and talk about them constantly yeah it's going to run my life does that make sense yeah so the stuff i'm not addressing the things i'm not looking at is very apparent how about this okay think of yourself as like a high chart here's the part that you know Here's the part that you don't know. And here's the part that you don't know that you don't know. Okay? You're walking around all day long, and this is the stuff that you know. The people around you know this part. 
Like your best friend? They're like, well, if you just did this, Cody, then that would be a lot I've never easy. heard anybody explain it that way. Yeah. And this is the stuff that you don't know that you don't know. That's usually what I'm telling you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What if I know it all? You don't know it all. <laughs> I don't even know it all. Yeah. Okay. So if I don't know some stuff about me, right? You've had that friend that just keeps dating that same girlfriend every single time. You're like, dude, seriously, I why? am that guy to all my friends. Oh, okay. And they're like, dude, seriously, <laughs> why do you keep doing that to yourself? Why do you do that? Uh, that's that's the thing. I have noticed. See, I told you, you tell me things. So the point is, is, is you know, if you have that friend and they just can't, and you're like, so clear to me, why does that keep, why do you keep choosing that? That's your trauma hmm. that you're not addressing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And your trauma bonding with those women that you're attracted to because mm-hmm. you match up perfectly. They're perfect for me. That's right. Yeah. They look at your trauma and you look at theirs and you're like, oh, I don't feel so weird about you. You normalize that too? Okay, cool. We can both act kind of that messed up way together. You're hmm. not going to judge me for that. Okay, cool. And you make agreements. It's like, okay, well, you're not as, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. That's why you do that? Okay, cool. And we make concessions for each other. We're like, hmm, okay, yeah, that's not so weird. I had a mom that did that or my sister does that too or Whatever, we normalize the be- behavior when we start dating somebody. And mm-hmm. then before we know it, we're in a serious relationship with them. And then we're like, oh, wow, huh, interesting. And sometimes we do something about that and sometimes we stay. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, yeah, we trauma bond with each other and we are trying to work out our trauma history with each other. It's really kind of messed up that way mm-hmm. until you realize it. And then you're like, oh. I have a choice in this. Not only can I understand myself better, but I can understand my partner better and I can choose differently from here because I'm more informed about my choice. Then you're 20 years deep in a marriage. You might be. Mm -hmm. You might be. And then you might have to make different decisions. I think that's a perfect spot to cut it off. Mm -hmm. I... I told you it was going to be a good one. Thank you. You're welcome. That was awesome. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah.